Well, good morning to you. Um, as you see, we're going to talk about the seed principle, and this is not a repeat of last sermon. It's just part two. So we're going to go a little deeper into the seed principle. And remember when we talked about a seed, that the almond tree produced this seed because everything that was in the almond tree would be in the seed itself. To produce what? Another almond tree. Everything an almond tree would need to be would be in this seed. And Christ is the seed. So everything that's in Jesus, if Jesus is in us, based on the seed principle, everything that is in Jesus can be what? Can actually be in us. Everything the almond tree needs to be is in this seed. And if Christ is seed and he's in me, then everything Jesus is can be in me. That's the message of righteousness by faith. That's really what the gospel's all about, is the unfolding of the life of Christ in each one of us. And we looked at this verse before, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we talked about two groups of people in the world, people who have Christ in them, the hope of glory, and people who don't have Christ in them, the hope of glory. And it really gets down to two different groups. And Jesus even used this as a parable, didn't he? He says there's two groups. There's wheat and tares. Now, wheat and tares come from two different what? Seeds. And all of us were a tear. All of us came from a seed, the seed of Adam, with a fallen nature. And we did things that made us tares in life. And yet the good news is, we don't have to be a tear, we can be a wheat. And that seed, that different seed, the seed of a wheat or that kernel, produces a different kind of plant, produces a different kind of life. And that's what we want. We want the life of Christ, the seed, to be planted in us. The second Adam. Not to be just born of the first Adam but to be born of the second Adam, Jesus, in his life's unfolding in us, a completely different life. And you know, when that wheat grows, and there's finally a harvest when the wheat is ready, it's harvest time. Jesus is here. And you know what those final kernels represent? That full maturity, the 144,000. And this is why we're still focused on Revelation 14. God's waiting for harvest. He's waiting for everyone who's become a wheat to come up to maturity where the life of Christ has so unfolded in them that they're reflecting the image of Jesus. Isn't that what it is? The seed principle. And the promised seed was right there in Genesis. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity, God speaking to the serpent, Satan, I will put enmity between the seed, between thee, the serpent, and the woman, God's true church, and between thy seed, the serpent seed, which is the seed of disobedience, and her seed, the true church, which is the, the seed of perfect obedience to God, right? So God says, look, I'm going to make a promise because the first Adam sinned and he lost something, didn't he? He lost his innocence. He had to be born again of a different seed. Now he had really the disobedience of Satan in him. And so we needed this promised seed to come that we could be born of that. And that's what we had. It says here in Galatians 3.16, 
Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, and saith not unto seeds as many, but as have one in thy seed, which is Christ. Today in the evangelical world, there's so much focus on Israel, seeds plural. But we really should be talking about what? The seed, one seed. Because talking about what's happening in the Middle East isn't preparing me for the second coming of Christ. The only thing that's going to prepare me for the second coming of Christ is not seeds many, but one seed, one life, planted in my life, prepares me for the harvest. Is that right? But you've got an evangelical world that's trying to push the buttons to have an Armageddon in the Middle East right now with Iran, and they're pushing this as if that's going to usher in the second coming. They're focused on the wrong seeds. Now, when we go through the book of Genesis, we realize this emphasis of things produced after their kind. Notice, notice with the plants. Let the earth bring forth grass, an herb yielding what? Seed. And the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after its kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God, in his wisdom, designed the seed principle that each seed produced only a certain kind. From this almond tree, you don't get a, an apple tree. You don't get an orange tree. You don't get reptiles. You only get an almond tree. So the only way that you and I can have a life that's eternal is we have to be born of the seed that is eternal. It's the only seed that produces that kind of life. Is that right? Everything is after its kind. We see it also... Oh, let's get this. is a beautiful statement. This is from Manuscript 114 in the year of 1899. Without the life of God, nature would die. Interesting statement. His creative works are dependent on him. He bestows life-giving properties on all that nature produces. We are to regard the trees laden with fruit as the gift of God just as much as though he placed the fruit in our hands. God didn't just create an almond tree. He didn't just create an almond tree that produced seeds. He himself bestows life in the seed. He's the one who actually makes the almond tree produce almonds. And if God would withdraw his presence from the almond tree, what happens to the almond tree? It actually dies. So, when we talk about the seed, Jesus, being in me, what else do I need? I need God to make it work. I can't just study the life of Christ. I must ask God, make it work. Just like you produce a fruit tree, and that fruit tree is making fruit because you make it work. He didn't just create the fruit tree. He makes the fruit tree produce. And all along, I thought it was my green thumb. No, it's not my green thumb. I don't have a green thumb. But even if I had one, Ultimately, I'm not the one that makes the fruit, the tree laden with fruit. And so when you 
see an apple tree in your yard or you buy apples, it's the same. Imagine that Jesus just placed that in your hands. Because that's real. It's the seed principle. That he not only produces seeds that produce after its kind, he makes the whole thing work. Which means that I cannot just study a life of Christ. I need the Holy Spirit in my life making that knowledge of Christ work. I can read about Jesus, but without God's presence, there's no life in it. So when people want to study the life of Christ, but don't want to be like Christ, they're basically saying, I don't need God's presence, I just need to study. But you realize in the seed principle, no, I don't just need to know about the seed. I need God's power to make the seed work. I can't make it work. He's the power. It's his life that makes it work. So when we pray every day, we not only want to study the life of Christ, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to make what we just read work and bear fruit. Make sense? Then look at this. It's still the creation story. And God created the great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying what? Be fruitful and multiply, the seed principle. Fill the waters and the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. Everything God made in this world follows the seed principle. And then he creates man, and God blessed Adam and Eve, and said unto them, be what? Fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Everything that's living comes from a seed. And God made it so. Now, here's a very interesting statement, Review and Herald, February 11th, 1902. All heaven took a deep and joyful interest in the creation of the world and of man. Human beings were a new and distinct order. They were made in the image of God, and it was the creator's design that they should populate the earth. So what, when God creates Adam and Eve, what else is happening in the universe right now? There's rebellion in heaven, right? Satan's rebellion has already started. And all the more interest to see what God's going to do to this little planet called Earth. And so all heaven takes this interest in the context of the great controversy. And all heaven is watching. What kind of intelligent being is God going to make on this planet? What would they look like? What would they be able to do? And so it was God's design to create a new and distinct order that doesn't exist anywhere else in the universe, in the context of the great controversy. So in this statement, it says we're new and distinct because we were... Created in God's image. Is there anybody else in the universe created in God's image? Probably, right? I mean, I mean, the angels, I think, are somewhat in God's image, right? I mean, if you look at the sanctuary, you'd say, yeah, they kind of look like us, except they have what? They have wings. But you're going to have wings. But it says something else here. We're new and distinct because God designed that we would populate. Do angels populate? No, they don't. So we're different than the angels because they don't populate. 
So God gave the human family the ability to reproduce, to have seed that produces life, to realize that everything that is in the seed bearer is in his seed. So everything that's in me would be passed on to my children. It's just the law. Everything that is in you is passed on to your children, which is why we need to encourage youth from the very beginning to live the most beautiful, pure life they can because what's in them passes on to the next generation. And for some reason, God wanted us to know that principle in giving us this ability to reproduce because the reality is, in a fallen world, we have to be what? Born again. Born of a different seed. And you can't walk anywhere around this earth and not be confronted with that principle. You will not see an apple tree produce oranges. Apples. You'll see parents with their children, and they begin to look, they look like them. They may behave like them, right? Because of the principle. To open our eyes and say, you know, I am the product of a seed. And the product I am of a seed, does that automatically get me to heaven? No. What would get me to heaven? Just one seed. And that seed is, is Christ. So when Sister White says, spend a thoughtful hour each day contemplating the life of Christ, is because in his seed is, is the life. It is the life that prepares us to live in the presence of God. That one singular life is what gives us hope of eternal life. And the devil's going to do everything he can to keep you from studying and choosing the one life that changes your life. Is that right? God created man, this beautiful statement, letter 91-1900, God created man for his own glory, that after test and trial, the human family might become one with the heavenly family. Something to think about. It was God's purpose. This is the next sentence in that paragraph. It was God's purpose to repopulate heaven with the human family if they would show themselves obedient to his every word. God made us for his pleasure. God designed us to be part of the family of heaven itself. Think of the honor there. That God just didn't create a human family to live on earth. He actually created the human family to be part of the family of God. Wow, what a privilege. And he knew when he created us that we would, we would fall. But he would give us the ability to populate because we would replace a third of the angels that fell. Is that right? Let's look at that statement here in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 4. And his, a serpent's tail, drew a third part of the stars of heaven. You know, there was a time when over half of the angels were actually on his side. But some of them came back to their loyalty to God. And when it was all said and done, he had a third. Now it says the serpent used his what? 
his tail. Now, in Bible prophecy, you take it literally unless it can't be taken literally. It'd have to be symbolic. So we know that Lucifer doesn't have a really big tail, right? Therefore, tail must represent something symbolic. So we go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 15. The ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teaches lies, he is the... So a tail represents lies. And the devil was able to take a third of the angels by lying. But lying about what? What was his worst, most devastating lie? It would be a misrepresentation of the character of God. I mean, think of Lucifer's own fall. When he saw himself as wanting to be God, and that didn't happen overnight, but it happened as a result of not looking at God properly. Adam and Eve. Eve thought she could be as God, and and the serpent suggested to her that maybe God was withholding something from her, so now she had a different understanding of who God was, and that led to her sin. Same with Adam. Most of the world, most sins in our world are a result of not having a true knowledge of God. Jesus would even say to the, about the Pharisees, if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do it. Another way of saying that, if they really knew God as he is, there's no way they could do this. So in the end of time, when you've got this, all these religious leaders wanting to persecute people because they worship on, in their mind, the wrong day, do they know God? No. How can you be part of persecuting people, keeping them from buying and selling and say that you know God? They know religion? Sure, they have a religion. They have a lot of false religion. That's what they know. What they don't know is God. They believe in God, but that's different than knowing God. Okay? So what God's trying to do, if the devil took his tail and deceived a third of the angels, and now they don't follow God, and if we're to, God designed the human flame to replace those third of the angels, what's he trying to do with us? That we are a people who are no longer deceived. Isn't that right? To repopulate heaven, you need truth. That's why this church is so important, to always preach truth. Because knowing the truth, which is going to help us make sure we're replacing those angels that fell, then we can all be part of the family of God. Wow, what a high honor. Which means that every day we should be studying what is truth. Truth. So you're not deceived. Okay? Now, our ability to populate and reproduce is temporary. Is that right? God allowed us to have this as making us this new and distinct order only temporarily. Because in the resurrection in a new earth, there's no more childbearing. Is that right? For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So our ability to populate, our ability to experience the seed principle is only in this life. But we've got to get the seed principle right. 
and be reminded every day, oh, I need the seeds of truth, but more than anything, I need the seed, Christ, in me, unfolding. Okay? In the original creation, God created man innocent, pure, upright. He created him with so much vital force and vitality. I mean, think about it. Even after Adam and Eve sinned, how long did people live? A thousand years. Can you imagine that? So much vitality, so much life. These people before the flood could live a thousand years. And you don't read about them dying of heart disease or cancer. They just expired after a thousand years. And even today, look at our world. Think of how much pollution and chemicals, and yet look at us. We're still alive. Even though we're losing vitality. We're losing vitality. We don't live nearly as long. It's not the same environment, but we're still living. We have a chance to live a life enough time to choose the seed principle, to choose Christ. And then Adam and Eve at the beginning, there were no propensities or tendencies to sin. In other words, when, when Adam and Eve were created, they were absolutely pure in their motives. There was nothing inside of them that would tempt them to want to sin. But after they sinned, sin was in them. And now there was a propensity, a likelihood to do it again. At one point, there was no propensities. Now that they had sinned, propensities, tendencies, in here, in this heart, because of sin. And now we've got to fight against those propensities. And the more we commit a certain sin, the stronger that tendency becomes. The more likely we're to do it again. But what's more powerful, the power of sin or the power of grace? Grace so much more powerful that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That no matter how strong our propensities are to do wrong, we can be set free with that new seed planted in us, the life of Christ. Wherefore, as by one man sinned and entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so I highlighted these These words, entered. At one point, there was no sin, but it entered. Something was passed on. Something that had never been passed on before is now passed on. Why? Because of sin. Okay? And through sin, man gained a knowledge of sin and its results. You can do something enough that it's not just an act of sin in your life. It becomes a part of you. You know, if you gossip about people, if you did it once, you're not really a gossip. You haven't become a gossip. You'd say, oh, why did I do that? But if you keep repeating this, right, what's happening? It actually becomes a part of you. You can still be free because of the seed. Because in Christ there is no gossip. There is no this. There is no that. He sets us free from all these things. But one of the things that sin did is what what does Adam and Eve do once they sin? They hid from God. Now, 
If they hide from God, do they now have an erroneous concept of God? Absolutely. You see, that was their problem. Their problem wasn't simply that they partake of a fruit that was forbidden. The problem is that the results of that is it changed their understanding of God to such an extent they didn't even want to be near God. Before they sinned, they loved to walk with God in the cool of the day. But that temptation and that sin and giving in to sin changed their concept of who God is. And that's what's mostly wrong with us. And sometimes we doubt God's love and sometimes we take things into our own hands. Why? A misconception of God. Because if we knew God as he is, we would, how, how often would we trust him? All the time. How often would we complain? Never. And it all gets back to, how much do I know him? Right? Now I want us to look at John chapter 1, verse 4, John 1, 4. And notice how these two things are connected. In him was life, that seed unfolding, the life of Christ, and the life, that unfolding of Christ in you, was the light of men. Now notice how these two things are brought together. If the life of Christ is planted in me, and I'm becoming more like Jesus, I have more light. I have more spiritual understanding. I see things differently. Because of him and his life. Did Jesus see things spiritually right? Why? Because he was like his father. To be like Jesus is to see things as they really, really are. <laughs> you see, the problem with Laodicea is they think they're rich and increased with goods, but there's something wrong with their eyesight. What's wrong with their eyesight? Not knowing God truly as he is. Isn't that right? If I really saw God as he is, I would be more dependent upon him. Not on myself. I would see him as loving, always. Forgiving. Leading. Always. Because that's exactly who he is. And we need to see that, especially before end time events really start coming around. You know, end time events are already in motion. Things are already beginning to happen. And they're only going to get what? Faster. We don't have any days to waste. Not one. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of men. Jesus is the light. Jesus needs to be in us. And if Jesus is in us, we will not have erroneous concepts anymore. We'll overcome those erroneous concepts and our misunderstanding of the true character of God. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may be the children of light. If you and I have an experience and we're struggling with something and we see very clearly that God got us out of it, did we experience some light in life? Once you get that light, keep what? Keep walking in it. Don't go back to disbelieving. Don't go back to doubting. Once he shows you that mercy and you realize, you know, God is with me. God does love me. 
Keep walking in that. Let that experience grow. Don't give that experience up and fall back into darkness. Go ahead and be the children of light. Continue to walk in the light. Continue to walk in the things that you know he's done for you. Now, to become children of light means that you're becoming children of God. You're becoming like him, aren't you? And notice the connection between life and knowledge God. And this is life eternal. What is life eternal? That they might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Because that's what it all gets right back on, back to. Lucifer in the beginning misrepresented the, the, the true character of God, and a third of the angels wind up becoming demons. But he uses the same thing with us. Think of people flying airplanes into the Twin Towers because of an erroneous concept of God. Think of all the so-called holy wars. Millions die because of an incorrect understanding of the character of God. Think about what's going to happen in the end of time. Why? Incorrect understanding of the character of God. It all gets right back to that, that we need to spend that thoughtful hour each day getting to know the true nature of God. Then the children of God, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we, we are, present tense, the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, so be that if we suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. Now, how do you become an heir? You become an heir by being born being one of the children. How do you become a child? By a seed. You have parents. But the Bible says, God your father, you could call what? Abba Father. Because if you're born of the seed of Jesus, and Jesus is the son of the father, and you're born of Jesus, and Jesus' seed is in you, that makes you part of the family of God. And once you're a child in the family of God, you're an heir of the kingdom. A joint heir with Christ. Think about what that's saying. God's going to lift this human family to be part of the family of God through Christ, and we can call our Father in heaven, Abba. Now, listen to this beautiful statement here. Oh, maybe it's coming up a little later. Those who, in the strength of Christ, overcome the great enemy of God and man will occupy a position in, hev in the heavenly court above the angels who have never fallen. How is that possible? How can you take the human family, the angels who have never fallen, and we'd be above them, closer to God? How is that possible? Well, it would only be possible if the seed of someone higher than the angels is in us. Does that make sense? So if Jesus is in us, and we're born of Jesus, and he becomes even one of the, with a human family, that automatically raises us above the angelic host. I mean, what a privilege. So we want 
Jesus to be in us, to be part of that heavenly family, and we don't do it to be above the angels. It's just a natural consequence based on the seed principle. You, by his seed, are the heirs of God, sons and daughters of God. Wow, that's amazing. This way? <laughs> that way. Maybe I did something here. No? There we go. Now here's another thought. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his what? So we were in darkness because we didn't understand what? We didn't really understand who God really was. And now we're in the light, the marvelous light of knowing who God really is. And as a result of being a child of light, we're also part of a royal priesthood. How do you become part of a royal priesthood? If you were to become the queen or king of England, it would be through through a seed. If you were to be a Levitical priest, it's through a is through a seed. So how do you and I, who are not in the lineage of Queen Elizabeth, or of a tribe of Levi, how is it possible for you and I to become a royal priesthood? It'd have to be through a seed. And that seed is who himself is a King and a priest. And if Christ be a king and a priest and his seed be in us, that makes you part of the royal priesthood. But it's all through Christ. This isn't about church structure. It's not about human positions. It's about your relationship with one personality in this universe. That's what it all gets boiled right down to. And you know, when you get through the end of time and you lose every earthly support, the one hand you want to have firmly grasped to is Christ. And if you have that grasp on Christ's hands, it doesn't matter what the world does to you. Because he's king and priest. And you're a child of God. And God takes care of his children. I mean, if you take care of your children, imagine how God takes care of his children. Is that right? God hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation. Notice how we become, but we're made kings and priests. The word made means that God's going to take us and do what? He's going to work in us. I'm going to make you a king and a priest. Now what's a king do? What's his really main responsibility? He's over the whole realm, and he's concerned about every subject in his realm, right? So he's to use all his resources for the greatest benefit of his citizens. And if you be a king as Christ is king, you're going to use every ounce of your talents and abilities to be the greatest blessing to your fellow man. And a priest, what's a priest do? He teaches 
He teaches the truth of, from God's word, the plan of salvation. And so God wants to take us and make us something. He wants to make us kings and priests. He wants us to begin to live a life right now where we would take our talents, our means, and use it for the benefit of suffering humanity and teach us to be a teacher. He teaches us to help teach others. And that's what makes us kings and priests. So Sabbath school is very important here, isn't it? Because in Sabbath school, especially as we're studying the book of Daniel, is where all of us learn to teach the book of Daniel. How important is that to a Seventh-day Adventist church? So I want to encourage everybody to come to Sabbath school. We're here to teach so we can all be teachers. Is that right? Oops. This is such a beautiful statement. There's two slides here together. If you have renounced self and given yourself to Christ, you are, present tense, a member of the family of God. And everything in the Father's house is for you. All the treasures of God are open to you, both the world that now is and that which is to come. The ministry of angels, that's for you, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit is for you. The labors of his servants, you know, you and I together, we're here to help one another. It's, it's all for you. The world with everything in it is yours so far as it can do you good. Even the enmity of the wicked will prove a blessing by disciplining you for heaven. Everything in the Father's house is currently for you. Now, you don't have a new body yet. But everything that would prepare us for heaven and have receiving a new body, it's all available. The ministry of angels. How often do we pray and thank God for the angels? I'm not talking about praying to the angels. But are thankful for the presence of them. How often do we avail ourselves of the Holy Spirit? Because it's, it's for us. His children need the Holy Spirit. We should pray for the Holy Spirit. Thankful for the ministry of angels. Thankful for one another. God brought this congregation together so that we could be there for one another. We can make it to heaven together. It's all for us, even now. But, but you are a child who is not yet placed in the control of his inheritance. Because your inheritance is ultimately a new heaven and a new birth and a new body, right? God does not entrust to you your precious possession, lest Satan by his wily art should beguile you as he did the first pair in Eden. Christ holds it for you, safe beyond the spoiler's reach. Like the child, you shall receive day by day what is required for the day's need. Every day you are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So every day, don't worry about tomorrow, don't be paralyzed by the past. Today. Pray today as a child of God, knowing that everything that's in the Father's house is yours. And you can have that which benefits you today, today. But you need to, you need to pray for it. Imagine having all this available to us in the Father's house, and we go about our business as if we're strong enough to do it ourselves. And if we live like that, we're not going to make it in the end of time. We need to become accustomed of praying 
and avail in ourselves of all that's within the Father's house because right now it's presently for us because we need it. It's not an extra. It's a necessity. Christ in you is Jesus living in you. And I'll close with this because of our time. Jesus Christ in you is Jesus living in you. And Jesus living in you is you living with Jesus. Isn't that right? That's what it means. I mean, sometimes we can be pretty flippant and say, yeah, I believe Christ in you. But do I really understand what that means? Christ living in me, his life unfolding in me, means that Christ living in me means that I'm making a choice to live with Jesus. I'm making a choice to walk with Jesus. As we see in that last statement, I'm making a choice to be married to Jesus. That's what it means for Christ to be in us. Every day, Christ in us, that precious seed, means that we're making a conscious choice to live with Jesus today. And there's this little word in Greek, and we'll, we'll do a sermon on this one time, but it's the Greek word koinonia. It's the word we get for fellowship. And koinonia means two people who share something in common. So for me to have fellowship with God, for me to have fellowship with Jesus, for me to have communion with the Holy Ghost, means I have to share something in common with the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because if I don't share something in common with them, I'm no longer in koinonia or fellowship with them. I just simply believe in them. But Christ in you is fellowship with Jesus. And fellowship means you're sharing something with Jesus. And what would we share? What is he willing to share with us? His life. So koinonia with Jesus means that he will share his humility with me if I want it. Do I want the humility of Jesus? And if I were to pray for the humility of Jesus, would he give it to me? Would he share his humility with me? And now, if he shares his humility with me, Jesus and I share something in common. What do we share in common? His humility. And in that way, we're in fellowship with him. Christ's life is enfolding in us. We're sharing a life together. Just think about that. Koinonia, fellowship with God, sharing a life with God. Living with God. As his life just unfolds in you and unfolds in you, you're gaining greater and greater light. You see things you've never seen before. All that spiritual understanding, all that new spiritual insight because the seed, Christ, growing, unfolding within you. But it's a daily matter. You can't have all of Jesus today and know everything he believed. But day by day, you can add to your faith. And if you add to your faith every day this year, every day for 365 days in a row, if you add something new about who God truly is, think about where we would be at the end of a year. It would be absolutely amazing. But the devil, oh, he's going to get you so busy. So busy you won't have time for that one seed.
And this is where you have to make and exercise the power of choice. Suri brought it up in our youth class today. You have to make and exercise the power of choice and say, you know, the devil may do this, but I choose to spend time with Jesus, the seed. I choose to live with him today, for today. And the devil's never going to get me so busy that I don't have time for that. And you've got to say it, you've got to believe it, you've got to plan it. You can't not walk out those doors and just have good intentions. You have to have a plan. When will you commune with him? What will you study? Will it be the gospel of John? Will it be the desire of ages? Will it be at 7 in the morning, 6 in the morning? What time is it going to be? How long will you do it? What are you going to do to remind yourself of what you read? Will you write out a verse and take it with you? That's a plan. But without the plan, based on the seed principle, we're probably just going to keep doing what we've always done. But if we want to grow and we want this new life, we've got to decide and have a plan to be new. Just ask ourselves, what does living with Jesus look like in a practical, daily experience? And we realize it has to begin, you start the day with Jesus. Isn't that right? Because if you start with the devil, he's got your whole day. Our first work in the morning is to commune with the seed, Christ Jesus. Then your day will unfold as it should. Does that make sense? Fair statement? He means everything to us. It's that one life in this world that has ever been lived. It's the one life that changes ours. It's not the pastor's life. It's not some television, televangelist's life. Their life doesn't change our life. Only one life changes our life. One seed. May each one of us this year, let's covenant together, right? Make a, a, a firm decision that this year, that if we're right here spiritually, we're going to be up here because of him.